our scripture reading this morning, we'll turn to the gospel according to Luke, in chapter 23. We'll read the first 25 verses. Luke chapter 23, verses 1 through 25. This is when the Jews hand them over to Pilate, and especially when they release Barabbas and condemn the Lord Jesus. Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 1. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him and said, it is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod with his men of war treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. And that very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod. For I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one to them of the, at the feast. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion, made in the city, and for murder. Pilate, therefore wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them, but they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Then they said to him the third time, or he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison. But he delivered Jesus to their will. This far our scripture reading. Now in connection with our scripture reading, I also would like to read from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 14, or 15, sorry, Lord's Day 15, on the, in the back of your Psalter, page 43. 
Lord's Day 15, page 43 in the back section of your Psalter. And here we read in question 37, what do you understand by the words, he suffered? The answer is that he, the Lord Jesus, all the time that he lived on earth, but especially at the end of his life, sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sins of all mankind, so that by his passion, as the only propitiatory sacrifice, he might redeem our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtain for us the favor of God, righteousness, and eternal life. Question 38 asks, why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? And the answer is that he, being innocent and yet condemned by a temporal judge, might thereby free us from the severe judgment of God to which we were exposed. Question 39, is there anything more in his being crucified than if he had died any, any other death? Yes, there is. For thereby I am assured that he took on him the curse which lay upon me, for the death of the cross was accursed of God. The Lord Jesus Christ came into this world as the light of the world. He came to shine into the darkness, and it says, John says, the darkness did not comprehend it. The men love darkness rather than light, because the light exposes their evil deeds. And nowhere is this seen more clearly than in the account of the Lord Jesus himself, where he came to his own, John says, and his own received him not. Even though the world was made by him, and the world did not know him. But it's exactly for this reason that the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world. Because his own creation has, had been estranged from him, had rebelled against him, and was at enmity with him, and he came to bring them back to God, that they might be saved through him. And so Christ came down to lay down his life to just one for the unjust, the righteous one for the unrighteous, the light for the darkness that he might bring us to God. And in the exchange that we read of here between Christ and Barnabas, we, we see the picture of how Christ really took the place of sinners, the innocent one being crucified and the guilty one being let go. Now, Christ took the eternal punishment for sin so that we might receive that eternal life with God. And this is what we would like to consider today. And last week we began looking at the stages of his humiliation, the first step of his incarnation as he came into the world. And today we would like to consider the second and third step of that descent into his humiliation, which is his suffering and his crucifixion, of which we read. And so our theme is faith in Christ's suffering. This, of course, relates to the confession of faith I believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, right, as he, he suffered and was crucified. And so what do we believe when we confess faith in Christ's suffering and in His crucifixion? What is it that we are confessing that we know and believe? 
Well, we would like to see first Christ's innocence for us. We believe Christ's innocence for us. That He was the innocent one. That He was born into this world, as we consider last time, without sin. That He lived a, he lived a perfect life without sin. And Pilate made this very clear to the people that he, as a judge, declared Christ to be innocent. In verse 4, Pilate said to the chief priest, I find no fault in this man. And in verse 14, Pilate again, if you look at verse 14, it says, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, now that word means, behold, look, pay attention to this. It is so clear, having examined this man, I, in your presence, I find no fault in him concerning the things whereof you accuse him. And in verse 15, again, he says, neither did Herod, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. He's saying twice, behold, look, here's the evidence, there's nothing wrong, nothing that this man has committed. In verse 22, the third time Pilate appeals to the people, why? What evil has he done? I find no reason of death in him. There is no blemish. No accusation could be raised against Christ. No false witnesses could agree on what he might have done wrong. And that's because he would be the Lamb of God the lamb without blemish and without spot, the one who would be crucified in the place of his people, the innocent one for the guilty ones. And because he was innocent, we see, secondly, that Christ was accused for us, that Christ was accused instead of his people. In verses 1 and 2, the multitude led Jesus to Pilate and began to accuse him, saying, we, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying he himself is the Christ, the king. The Christ was accused even by his own people, even though he was clearly innocent. He was falsely condemned only out of envy, out of enmity, out of hatred by the very people that he came to save. When Pilate said they could find nothing in verse 5, these people, it says, they became more fierce, saying he stirs up the people, teaching them throughout all Judea. And in verse 10, when he was brought to Herod, they vehemently accused him. And in verse 13, when Pilate assembled the people again, in verse 18, he, Pilate wanted to release this man because Pilate knew there was nothing they could accuse him of. And then they crowded all together, saying, Crucify him. Away with this man. In verse 20, Crucify him. Accused, condemned, even though innocent. Now think back to where the Lord found you. And isn't that exactly what we did? Because how often did the Lord not come to you as the light of the world? You heard the goodness of God and of His mercy, of His loving kindness and His tender mercy that He shows to us. 
How often have we heard of the eternal life that He says, Come and drink freely of the fountain of life. Come to see the joys of heaven. And yet we turned our back on God and ran from Him. We wanted nothing to do with Him. Or how often, even today, do we hear the young people say, Where is God? Prove it to me. Or how we heard Satan tempting Eve in, in paradise and saying, Don't believe God making God to be a liar, accusing God of being the evil one. And every time we choose for sin, every time we live in unbelief, every time, every moment we continue without believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are accusing Him as the one who is the liar and the deceiver. But when by His grace He has brought you into His fold and become children of God, Oh, then you see that we are the guilty ones and He the innocent one. And then you also begin to taste a little of the world's accusations of when the Lord enables you to do good and yet the world accuses us. Paul in Acts 24 is accused by Ananias, the high priest, and the elders. They accuse Paul of creating dissension and sedition among the Jews as he preached Christ, just like Christ himself was accused. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas were dragged to the marketplace in front of the authorities. Why? Because they'd cast an evil spirit out of a young slave girl, set her free from her sin, and yet they accused him. And Jesus predicted that this would happen to his people. So don't be surprised in our day and age when you are accused falsely by the world or even by your unbelieving family members. But then, thirdly, as Christ was falsely accused, we also see how Christ remained silent for us. Christ, who would be the mediator, Christ, who would be the substitute of His people, He remained silent because He would die the just one for the unjust, he would die giving his life a ransom for many. And that's why he came into the world. The world that was at enmity with him. He came to the people who did not receive him. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Christ had to affirm, Yes, that's who he is. He's the anointed one who has come to deliver his people. He affirms that he came down from heaven. He laid aside his heavenly kingly glory to put on the robes of a servant. And he would go to the cross. So even as he was mocked and dressed up by Herod in, in that royal purple robe and beaten, he remained silent. He took it patiently. He answered nothing to Herod, verse 9. He wouldn't use his power, his divine power, to deliver himself or to escape with his own life. No. He would use his divine power to save his people from Satan, from the power of sin, the power of our own, the sin of our own hearts. And so he remained silent so he could take your place on the cross. And here we see even Pilate and Herod became friends, it says verse 12, who used to be enemies, but now because of a common 
enemy or a common opposition. They're united even with the Jews against Christ. And how the world mocks now, how the world unites with various groups against Christ and against His church. We see it in the government parties. Two parties who don't get along on normal days will unite to try to crush anything that has to do with Christ. We see it in organizations such as the LBGTQ, etc. None of those, whatever those letters stand for, none of them get along together, but they all unite against one enemy, Christ and His church. And they mock and oppose. But then fourthly, we see Christ was condemned instead of us. Christ was swapped here for the guilty. Christ was condemned to death while Barabbas, who is a well-known and condemned criminal, was set free. Pilate even said in verse 16, I will chastise him and release him because he knew he was innocent because it was necessary to release one prisoner to the Jews on his feast day. But they all cried out with one at once in verse 18, Away with this man! And release unto us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for certain rebellion, made in the city, and for murder. Barabbas was guilty. As repeated in verse 25, guilty, thrown into prison. And Jesus falsely accused of the very sin that Barabbas was in prison for. So here we see how Christ was condemned, how Christ went to the cross for the very sins that you and I have committed, that we are guilty of. Every one of our sins justly deserves death, and Jesus bore that on the cross. Have you ever come to see that Jesus was condemned instead of you, for you, because of you, because of our sin? When Jipan Pilate tried to wish to release him again in verse 20, he said, Why should an innocent man die? They shouted, Crucify him, crucify him. They demanded with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men, it says, prevailed. Pilate gave them as they requested and delivered Jesus to their will. Here as we sang, so the temporal judge with the power of the Roman Empire who carried the power of justice. As Psalm 82 says, he was supposed to defend the poor and the fatherless to do justice to the afflicted and the needy, to deliver the poor and the needy and free them from the hand of the wicked. But Pilate, who's more worried about his own power, his own position, than that justice should be done. And the people said, if you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. And so Mark 15, 15 says, Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas and delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. 
the unjust judge. And yet why did an innocent man have to die? It's because the sovereign God who rules over everything in this world so directed it that Christ his Son would be condemned as the sinner instead of his people. He would take the place. He would be made sin for us. He would be condemned instead of all his people. And here we see the true will of mankind. People speak about free will. Just choose to believe on Jesus. This is how we see our will acting out. Verses 23, their voices prevailed. Verse 24, Pilate gave as they requested. And verse 25, Pilate delivered Jesus to their will. Our will is so fallen, so depraved, that we cannot do anything except by the grace of God who renews sinners. And then the wonder of salvation becomes so much greater. And when John says, as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Because if left to ourselves, we would choose the same thing that these Jews did, and that is to crucify Christ and not to believe on the Lord Jesus. We follow our own desires, our own sins, and our sinful will prevails in this world. But here, Jesus came to take the place of guilty sinners. So by that grace of God, we are given a new will to receive His Son as our salvation. And when by His Holy Spirit you are born again, you are made alive, and we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. By grace, Christ, Officially condemned by Pilate. And that's what we read in the, in the catechism, so that we might be freed from the severe judgment of God under which we lived. And then fifthly, he was condemned, and we are to see that as he took our place, he suffered for us. He suffered for us the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Christ suffered in our place with both body and soul because of sin, so that he can deliver you both body and soul from eternal wrath of God against your sin. We see how Christ suffered in this world from his very birth, in his humble birth laid in a manger, how even when he was less than two, he had to flee from Herod with his family. He had no place to call his own. And when he grew up under Pilate especially, he suffered innocently whipped and beaten. But Christ's suffering was also so much different than any suffering that we know or understand. Even though we can relate to, to forms of, of physical or psychological or emotional suffering, nothing on this earth can compare to Christ's suffering. No sickness, no trauma, not even the consecration camps of, of the Second World War, not even the sufferings of the martyrs. Oh, you hear how they were tortured. Hebrews writes of how they were uh, tortured with chains, 
We hear of electricity. We, uh, one of the prophets saw in half, some burned at the stake, uh, some stick, stuck in, in metal cages, some put in the desert to, to dry up, others put in water with rats to be eaten alive. Uh, sometimes they, they wrap people and in, in, sew them into wet hides of animals and lay them in the sun so that the hides dry and constricts them to death. Or the ways that people have, have, have drummed up to, to torture and mutilate people is incomprehensible. The depth of the depravity of our human mind and will is so deep. Thinking that we are created in the image of a holy God. That our depravity knows no limits. But Christ's suffering was even altogether different in essence than these sufferings. It included these elements for sure. Even to the point where Simon, in verse 26, had to be compelled to carry the cross of Jesus because he himself was too physically exhausted from the abuse to carry the cross. But the difference can be seen where many of these martyrs could go to the stake with faces beaming and rejoicing in God their Savior with hearts full of love for God who delivered them with tongues that could not be silenced from singing praises to God and glorifying His name and preaching to the people as they were tied to the stake. The only way they could be silenced is when the soldiers took a knife and cut out their tongue. But these martyrs could pass from death to life with joy unspeakable, many receiving grace even to bear the pain. You can think of Stephen when he was being stoned as the stones are being hurled at him. And that he could see the Lord in heaven and say, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And that joy of the Lord is yours in Jesus Christ. No matter how you suffer pain or shame in this world, there's God, there's his mercy, there's his grace, there's his peace. But for Christ, it was different. He suffered not only in body but in soul. Again, think back from the beginning how his righteous, how his sinless soul was so oppressed by, during his life by the wickedness of the world that opposed him and surrounded him, surrounded by the very enmity against God, by the hatred of the true worship of the real God, by the hardness of the hearts of unbelief, and how he had to cry out over Jerusalem and say, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem! How often I've wanted to gather you together as a hen gathers her chickens, but you were not willing. Imagine the pain to see the people whom he had created so opposed to God. His soul pain from the unbelief. And when they loved darkness rather than light, death rather than life, when he, as the only pure one in this world, was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard and a thief and a friend of sinners, when they accused him who came to deliver them from the power of Satan, they accused him of being a friend of Satan, betrayed by his own disciple Judas. On these pains, God's people do share in a strong degree. When we feel the betrayal of members from our own family or our own congregation, Matthew 10, 36, Jesus says that man's enemies will be of those of his own household. Matthew 24, Christ said in this time before he returns, you'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Many will be offended, will betray one another. 
will hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. We, our love grows cold for God because we seem to be tempered by the wickedness of the world around us. We get so used to it. But Christ couldn't endure this. Christ couldn't get used to it. And here he says, He who endures to the end shall be saved. Christ was denied and forsaken by his own friends. Christ in a sinless purity faced the bitterness and pain of the sin and the enmity from his own creation against him. The very crown of his own creation rebelling against him, committing treason. The objects of his own love, of his own communion, rebelling and estranged from him. It's like you know that the pain is the deepest when it's, from, when it's committed by a closest family member. The one who you love the most becomes the most bitter enemy. That is the pain, most painful, the greatest source of anguish. But still, the Lord Jesus suffered more. The greatest and the deepest suffering of soul anguish was caused because Christ was forsaken of God, his Father. When the martyrs died and faced all this abuse, they were not forsaken of God. But for Christ, this was entirely a different dimension. Christ, who was in the beginning with God, who was in the bosom of the Father from all eternity, at unity and union with him, in love and peace and favor, would now instead be faced with the full wrath of God against sin, against, of the whole human race. That wrath rested on Christ alone. And then there was no more mercy and no more favor shown. And all because we have torn ourselves away from God in paradise. We have severed that communion with God. We have lost that peace with God. And Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And that wrath, revealed from heaven, was poured out on Jesus Christ in Golgotha. A wrath that was not divided. God is one God, a whole God, and His whole wrath against the sin of all humanity rested on Christ. But also know, that all those who remain outside of Jesus Christ will one day face that wrath yourself. John 3.36 says, He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him forever, never to be escaped from. But here we may know and believe and see that as the Catechism summarized, Christ suffered for us, that He might redeem us, body and soul, from everlasting damnation and obtain for us the favor of God and righteousness and eternal life. And then we see, lastly, Christ crucified for us. As He was handed over to be crucified, the innocent one instead of the guilty 
That means that now for those of you who are in Christ, there's deliverance from that punishment. Deliverance for guilty sinners. Deliverance from the curse of death because Christ took that curse upon himself. Hanging on the accursed tree And that means that there is now the gift of eternal life for all those who trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he who believes the Son has everlasting life, John says. Christ was so clearly innocent because we are so clearly guilty and deserving of this wrath. Christ was condemned so clearly by an earthly judge, Pilate, so that we can be freed eternally from God's wrath, the eternal judge. Christ had no answer from heaven while he hung there on Golgotha, no peace in his soul, no favor from God, no comfort, no token of love, no joy in his heart, no compassion at all. But he took that pure, undiluted wrath of God, poured out in full, so that you can know and can taste and can receive God's favor and mercy and love and compassion and assurance in whatever you face, whatever suffering or trials you have, especially at the hour of death. Barnabas is such a picture of those of you who are in Christ. Christ crucified in your place. And that now, whatever you face in this life, you may know that God's favor is with you. That in Jesus Christ, that wrath has been taken away and His favor has been, it shines down. And that you may know that you will never have to face that wrath yourself because Christ stood in your place. And for those of you who have never yet come to that place, you may know that the blood of Christ is sufficient to cleanse you from all your sin. Never think that there's no hope for you. Never think that you have sinned too much. Never think that Christ is not able to save you. But the blood of Christ is said to be able to save to the uttermost, completely, holy all those who come to God through him. And even your faith, you say, well, how can I believe? Even your faith is a gift of God. He gives everything that you need to be saved because it's not of our works. It's not of the will of man, not of the will of flesh, but of God. And so come to him and he will give his grace and spirit to all those who seek him. Because he is faithful, he delights in mercy. His favor now shines on this world in Jesus Christ. Come to him. And for those who have learned to come, you've learned to see with Paul that you are the chief of sinners. That we know we are the guilty ones. And often we can still feel that way. We still feel so condemned in ourselves. Every time we hear the law of God, 
Or every day we think of the law, we say, well, I've, I've sinned again and condemned. But when you look into Christ and see him crucified instead of Barnabas, you see him hanging there instead of you, it means that there's no more curse because he has taken it away. There's no more wrath because he has appeased it. And that means he sets his people free for all eternity. They may live in that joy of the Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God through Jesus Christ is eternal life. Oh, do you see what you confess when you say, I believe in Jesus Christ? When he suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified. Christ for us. Christ instead of us suffering and crucified for his people. Amen.